Welcome to Apply Filters, the podcast all about WordPress development. Now, here's your hosts, Pippin Williamson and Brad Tunar. Welcome to episode 32. Today, we're going to be talking about what we've been up to lately, managing the code of a core plugin with add-ons, which can be a challenge, and laying out and planning the code for larger plugins and kind of the, the structure of a large plugin. Pippin, man, what have you been up to? Uh, well, the last week or two have been a little bit uh, busier than normal. We, we're ramping up for a large EDD release, which is uh, version 2.2. It's a release that we've been working on since, well, since 2.1, which went out in, I think, August. So it's been about three or so months that we've been working on it. Uh, it was a pretty large update. Uh, yeah. Not a whole lot of user-facing changes, a lot of just background refinement still uh a few ui things a couple of new features here and there like minor stuff um so what are the my... what are the, some of like the major plumbing i guess it's i call it sure. plumbing because so, it's like the background like yeah the, one of yeah. one of the biggest ones that we did was we introduced a new product class called edd download um previous prior to 2.2 if you wanted to interact with a product uh, as a developer, like let's say in an extension or a theme, and you wanted to go get the sales of that product, the the earnings of it, or you wanted to get all the price options or the download files attached to it, et cetera, there was just a whole mishmash of helper functions to use. And so we've now created a whole a new class uh, that that makes all of that data much more accessible. It also makes it much easier to create new products as well. Um, so at, since a product is a custom post type, uh, you used to be able to just say like WP insert post, set the post type to download, set all the different stuff, and then update all of the post meta that you need. Right. Well, now you can do it much more simply, and you can just say new EDD download. Right. Uh, so you've so. created like uh, basically like an API on that. Yep. To, in, to, in, to interface with the product. Right. Data. And and keeps keeps kind of away from the lower level like the. Yeah, WP exactly. insert post and all that stuff. So, and there, there's a couple of big advantages to it. Number one is it just makes it a lot easier for someone who's new to the pro plugin or to the project to come on board and figure out how to do something with a with a product. Mm -hmm. uh, but number two, it also makes it a lot easier for us to change things behind the scenes later on. Mm -hmm. If we want to change the database schema, uh, if we want to do something like that, uh, maybe we decide to move all of the data to a custom post type we can do that much easier because we don't have to worry about people manually calling get post meta on something. Right. Because they're instead they're using our, our product helper class that we can adjust the methods there and everything will just work. Right. So yeah. it's something I wish we had done a long time ago, but we just now got around to it. Uh, and there was a bunch, there was a bunch of other little changes. Uh, we found a few security flaws that we've patched up. Um, we made a couple of small UI changes. Um, overall, is a pretty solid release. Cool. Um, nothing. There's no database schema changes. There's no. There was no data migration or anything like that. So it wasn't wasn't as risky of a release. Put right. it that way. So that's out, is it? Two point two. Yes, that is out. That went out on Tuesday. Cool. And is uh, that two thousand updates a day since release? So it's gone out to quite a few people. We've had, I think, two people had issues with it. Uh, maybe, maybe a few more than two. Uh, we had one issue that kind of bit us that we didn't catch early on. We were we were beta testing for four weeks, uh, and like it, we've been running it on all of my live sites and a couple other live sites for a while. But we implemented this new function. Uh, so EDD works primarily with AJAX. 
everything is Ajax. When you add something to the cart, when you update the cart, when you do things like that, everything is Ajaxed. Mm -hmm. um, and so one of the issues that anybody who's done a lot of Ajax or JavaScript stuff on the front end with plugins will know is that a lot of times you have sites that Ajax just doesn't work on, either because there's a JavaScript error, they have a security rule in their htaccess file, they have a security plugin, something is blocking the admin Ajax file mm -hmm. or preventing it. So we implemented a function that's just called edd test Ajax works. And if it detects that Ajax doesn't work, it displays a notice and, and tells them, hey, heads up, it looks like there's an issue. Here's how you can fix it. Uh, or you can dismiss this notice. And anyway, for whatever huh. reason, that function decided to trigger an error on like 0.0% <laughs> of sites. Oh, the irony. And, it, and, it, and of course, it'd be a fatal error. <laughs> yeah. Lovely. Uh, never happened to us anywhere, never saw it anywhere until we pushed it out. So, right. Yeah, there's just too many variables. You can't can't get them all right before yeah. you push it out. Yeah, we've just uh, recently released uh, uh, Amazon S3 and CloudFront plugin, uh, the first release in uh, over a year. That's that's an update to the free one, right? Yes. Yeah, we're just we're just uh, working on the free version right now. I remember you mentioning uh, that you were thinking about making a pro version of it too. So this is just the update to the free one. Yeah, so the, the first step in, in doing the pro version is to get the, the free one uh, in good shape. Mm -hmm. And we're going to build on top of that and use that as the foundation. Very cool. And, uh, and yeah, and the, and the other part of that is, you know, we, I added a, a little uh, opt-in box so that people can submit their email. And so I can get an email list going of people that are actually interested in the pro version. So then we have that, that launch list to launch to so that's important as well so we've gotten all all that stuff was in the the new release that just went out um but like like you were just saying you know we've since so that went out on think i think tuesday or no it's been a week now since it's been out and uh but we've done two point releases since then and one just today so yeah you know you, you can't we tested it as best as we could uh, but <laughs> yeah, something something else that did recently that was um, actually I'm kind of curious about your your background update a little more. Okay, sure. Yes, um, tell me a little more about that. So, so one of the features of the Amazon S3 and CloudFront plugin that we added was so the, one of the problems was that we weren't storing the region of the file that was uploaded. So when you upload a file to S3, uh, the bucket, whatever bucket you put into, it that bucket has a region associated with it. And that determines where what the URL is going to be. So for example, if you're uh, if you're in the standard region, then the URL is going to be s3.amazonaws.com, right? That's just your right. standard one. But if you're in like the western region of the u.s or whatever if that's where your bucket is located then it'll be like u.s dash uh or it would be s3 dash u.s dash west dash one dot amazon aws dot com something like that right but we weren't doing that uh the plug or the plugin didn't do that prior to this release it would just do s3 dot regardless and that was causing problems for some people that were using buckets in other regions um generally is that usually a, is that usually a per bucket or per file thing because i've used the s3 api before and when i did it we just gave the option to specify 
the region, but it was it was specified globally. Yes, that's true. Yes, so it you so the bu it, it's associated with the bucket, right? But the problem with the plugin is that you can change your bucket. So if they change to a bucket in another region, right? The other files don't work anymore. Yeah, exactly. So, so your background updater is just going through and updating those. Yeah, the background updater just goes through all your current files very carefully uh, in the background uh, and uh, just gets the bucket region and stores that in the metadata for that file, right? So it does that for every file so that we have that information and we can construct that URL without having to ask S3 every time, you know, what's the region for this file, right? Got it. Um, how, so, how'd you, how did you scale that? So yeah. obviously there's going to be some people that are going to have hundreds of files, some with thousands, some with hundreds of thousands. Yeah, so we just batched it. I think we chose 500. So it queries, it queries the is database. It, for is it done like in a cron job or do they have to sit there with on that screen and watch the screen reload over, <laughs> over again so when you when you upgrade uh and you go to the settings panel you'll see a little warning at the top that'll say you, you know we've got this background uh updater running and, and here's what it does and it that's all it is it runs on a cron and it runs it picks 500 files uh and looks at them and gets the S3 bucket for that file, uh, gets the region, inserts that meta, and it just updates it. And it does that for 500 uh, files at a time. So, uh, and it's got uh, timeout protection as well. So if during that time it times out, or sorry, if during that batch it times out, uh, it'll fail gracefully. And it'll just, the next time, it'll pick up. If it fails, I mean, we've we've put so much time into this stupid little thing. <laughs> if it if it fails a certain amount of times, there's a threshold. If it hits that, I think we chose twenty failures. Like if it fails for, on twenty files, for example, uh, does it just skip them? It'll no, it'll it'll stop. It'll pause it, and it'll the the message will change in the settings panel, and it'll say that it's been paused and because of this reason. Uh, and you can also pause and resume it. It's pause, pause and resumable. We kind of went crazy with it, to be honest. <laughs> that's awesome. But I, I think that's a nice testament to uh, to how much thought you've put into the plugin. Hmm. And I think that's a very good sign for the the pro plugin to come for anybody who's using it. Yeah, I, I, that's what I that's what I felt like. I, I didn't want to compromise on that. And there's nothing more frustrating than something like that failing on somebody. I, I think, nah, especially when you, we're talking about a large scale. Yes, exactly. If they've got three or four files, you know, big deal. But if you've got hundreds or thousands, that's a little different story. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, the it's funny. The, the, the issues that we've had to fix have had nothing to do with the updater. So far, the updater seems to be working okay. It's Great. One of the issues, I'll tell you, it's just the stupidest things. Like, so S3 has this weird thing. Um, if you're in, if you, if your bucket is in the EU... So it'll use EU as the region, which we weren't, we didn't even know that that was possible, right? We thought that all the EU regions were like EU-West-1, you know, in that, not. in that format. No, there's one of them that is EU, just EU. <laughs> and if you use it to construct the URL, it doesn't work. So, like, 
<laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, it's a really bizarre thing. Uh, we still don't know the full reasoning for it. Like on the Amazon side, we don't we don't know the history behind it or anything. Like why it's like that. But I don't it, know. I'd be curious to know if you find out though. Yeah, for sure. So, man, what what about uh, this? Uh, this public repo that you or this repo that you made public sure so earlier this morning i decided to take one of my larger plugins which is restricts content pro it's my membership plugin and i made the repository on github public so anyone can access it anyone can view the code base anyone can submit an issue or a pull request uh and it's something i've been toying with for a while and mm-hmm. uh, so some people may be aware of this but when we did affiliate wp back in april uh, we launched it on a public GitHub repo from day one, um, kind of as an experiment. I had never, pl- I've never played with a commercial plugin being on a public GitHub repo. I didn't really know how it would, how it would go. Maybe we'd have lots of people downloading it for free and not, not paying for it. Maybe we'd get lots of support questions from people uh, that hadn't actually purchased a license. And in short, we didn't see any of that. But what we did see is we actually saw real users who had paid for the plugin and other real developers submitting bug fixes and submitting patches and submitting suggestions. And it it helped provide that same kind of like uh, beautiful collaboration that we can see sometimes in open source mm-hmm. on a commercial product, which mm-hmm. doesn't usually happen because usually everything is behind closed doors. And so it was really cool to see that. And so today I decided to do the same thing again with my membership plugin. And so it is public as of today. Anyone can view it. Uh, you can find it from my GitHub page. Uh, and we'll see how it goes. Uh, Restricted Content Pro is one of my older plugins. It's the second or third really large plugin that I wrote. Uh, and so it's got, it's got some cobwebs in it. And it's <laughs> got some things that are less than stellar. But it's one that I'm really excited to kind of reinvigorate and push forward and do a lot of cool new things with it. And I think making it public so that other people can either help or see or provide feedback uh, is going to be a really important part of that. Hmm. Interesting. Did you, so do you, with Affiliate WPs, you've already been running this experiment for, it's almost a year now, isn't it? Affiliate WPs? Uh, it's about eight, nine months. Yeah. So that's long enough. Uh, so you don't get people coming to you and, um, you know, expecting support at all we've had one person okay and that's... and 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 that one particular person even said hey i don't have a license key could you help me <laughs> right and, right. and so and they they knew what they were doing <laughs> they knew they knew what they were doing and we're, we just say no i'm sorry uh you we can't you right need a license key uh, and that's it i have no idea how many people have downloaded it for free from the repo and are using it but to be honest i don't really care right uh i don't really care because it's it's not worth it Piracy is something that's going to happen, and if you let it affect you and you let it uh, and you try to actively fight it, it's just going to slow you down. It's going to hurt you more, and it's going to hurt your actual customers more. Customers more. So, look, if you're going to pirate it, you're going to pirate it. Yeah. I'll make it really easy for you. At <laughs> least, at least this way, we don't have a problem with with pirates distributing bad copies that have malicious code in them. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. Uh, and and to be honest, I think the benefit of it, the the first pull request we got that fixed a bug, or the first bug report we got that was important, made all of it worthwhile, because that would not have happened if it had been private. Hmm. Interesting. Very interesting. 
uh, and and I can tell you that like Philly WP has been pretty successful so far uh, as a commercial plugin. Right. Uh, do you think do you think part of the reason is maybe that people just don't know about the repo and they're they're not really looking for certainly. it? Certainly. Yeah. I mean, I think that's probably a lot of it. I think there's a lot of people that are perfectly fine purchasing, but they would also probably download it if they saw it. But the thing about GitHub that's actually really great for this is it really doesn't cater very well to non-developers. Right. It doesn't cater to people that are looking for a free download um, because when someone lands on GitHub, they see a bunch of PHP files and source code and jargon like that. Um, hmm. Even though, yeah, there's a down sidebar, like, there's nothing intuitive about what that means to someone who's not a developer and who's not familiar with GitHub. And so, yeah, I mean, maybe maybe people are looking for it, but they're not usually finding it that way. Uh, right. And we also, it's not like with with the public GitHub repos, we're not going out like on our main sales page that says, hey, you can go to, you can go download it from GitHub. No, it, we, we will happily tell anyone who asks if they can view the source code and we'll just send them straight there. If someone says, hey, I have a bug that I'd like to report, we send them straight to GitHub. Right. Yeah, that makes total sense. It's it's funny because I mean I just searched I just did a Google search for affiliate WP and your GitHub repo is the, <laughs> the second hit. It's right underneath your site. It's not like it's it's right out there in the open. You know, it's not um, it's not hard to find. That's for nope. sure. Huh? It's an interesting experiment for sure. It's it's been fun to kind of see how it goes, and, and I, so far I'm really happy with it. I think if uh, how many cus how many of your customers do you think are developers? Like, what percentage would be developers? Mm -hmm. you know? uh, maybe five. Oh, really? Okay, so that's probably why really it works low. well. You think we like have, so if you're really. if you had a plugin, say that was a developer tool, maybe one that you migrated databases or something like that. <laughs> probably, it might be. probably not. It won't work I don't as know. well. <laughs> I mean, it's it's definitely possible, but. I don't really think it would make much difference. Yeah, really? Hmm. The, the reason being is simply that people that actually are interested in your product, like we like we like to say that every like that piracy is a major problem and all these things and no one will pay for things. I think that's a bunch of malarkey because in reality, I think the vast majority of people are actually perfectly fine paying for something. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. It, it's a scary experiment for me. <laughs> I I might do it in the future. But it's just not 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 ready yet. Sure. Um, I wonder. Yeah, yeah. It's it's an interesting. I I do know now that um I'm not the I'm I know a couple other people that have now done this as well. Uh, oh, Justin yeah? Sant so, Justin Santon did it recently, uh, with the WP Commerce plugin, uh, and he, as far as I know, he hasn't had any fallback on it. Huh. Interesting. So, yeah. Cool. So, what else have you got? You you were mentioning something in our uh, pre-chat about doing something with your add-ons and uh, with for WP MigraDB Pro. Something you changed with them. Well, what are you doing? well. For, first of all, I'll just give you a quick update on on what we're working on there. We're working on the next the next release. Uh, one thing is migration state. Uh, well, that's what we're calling it. It's so. The way it works now is that we're just kind of passing data, like uh, the data that defines the migration, like the settings, basically, of, of the migration you're running. We just pass them through, through each uh, AJAX request. 
Like it doesn't just do one AJAX request and then the store the state on the server. <laughs> we keep passing it back and forth through. Anyway, uh, we're gonna we're gonna make that a little bit cleaner. So we're not so we're just passing around a, a state like an ID that that defines the data uh, and store the data somewhere else. So we're working on that. That that actually sounds like a little thing, but it's actually a lot of work with the plumbing. Um, and we're, we've completely rewritten the media files add-on. Uh, what, 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 what was the reason behind deciding to rewrite it? Timeouts. So servers that are configured uh, with PHP FPM uh, do not respect the PHP set timeout function or right. set time limit function. Uh, and uh, so what happens is sometimes you get a timeout if the request doesn't finish uh, in the in whatever the PHP FPM setting is on your server, which it's typically around 30 seconds, I think. Um, so on ho any hosts that are using PHP FPM, which is a lot of them right now, uh, you'd get a timeout if you're pushing media files. Because... Um, it would when it was determining which media files to migrate that process can take quite a while so sometimes you get a timeout there well there's, there could be a lot of files to scan exactly if you had basically if you had you know over 10,000 files to compare it would it would time out with that server configuration so now it, was that when pushing the files to a server or pulling them from a server <sighs> I don't think it mattered actually. If you, okay. I think as long as I guess it's pretty much the same process on either end. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then, uh, so so basically, we had to rewrite everything though because because of that. Unfortunately, it, it sounds like it, you wouldn't have to rewrite everything, but it's just the way that the plugin was structured and the requests were set up. You, we had to just do it all over. So uh, so we did that. Uh, we, well, we're still working on that actually. Um, and then CLI add-on. Right now, it's a super simple command, and we've opened it up to have all the migration options available, so you can define your entire migration from the command line. That's great. So, so that'll be that'll be the next release, and we're pretty excited about that. Um, I'm excited to see more and more people doing stuff with WPCLI. In yeah, um, yeah. We actually just put uh, EDD 2.2 included a new command in it, so. In 2.1, we added basic CLI commands, mm -hmm. uh, which was basically just like allows you to view data. So you could list recent payments, you could list your earnings or your sale stats. Oh, uh, isn't that neat? Uh, list uh, your discount codes. Yeah. That's... Oh, super cool stuff. Yeah. Uh, but we want to go a little bit further. And so, like, we want to, we're going to add in abilities to, I mean, you can already create products because they're just a post type um, in discount codes and stuff like that. But we're going to, we're going to go further. Uh, but one of the things that we, we added this time, which, because CLI is so much of a developer tool, uh, we added um, the ability to create sample purchase data. Um, so let's say you're building an extension and you and it has to do something, maybe it's reporting. And one of the ways you want to test your reporting stuff, your, your features, is that it scales. Well, it's pretty, it's pretty ridiculously time consuming to go through and and create 10,000 or 50,000 payment records. So we just added one CLI command that says EDD payments create 5,000, 10,000. Uh, okay. And so kind of like how CLI has a command for generating tons of sample post data, it right. does the same thing. Yeah, oh, that's that's awesome. Super handy. Yeah, for sure. So I, I'm excited to see more and more plugins. 
cool yeah me too i i love it i love the the wpcli now that all of my now that all my sites are in a position where they can actually use cli like live i'm actually using it i kind of i i kind of wish that i used it more i i just i never really like i haven't really incorporated into my workflow so i don't like i don't really use it on a daily basis right now do you not on a daily basis but i would say on a weekly basis Hmm. i mean i use it quite a bit for unit tests right yeah Oh yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, every time I run a unit test, where our scripts do that, but you know, I'm really running the script which has CLI commands in it. So I don't know. Sure. <laughs> it's cheating. Um, yeah. So one thing um, that we're planning to do really soon is to move uh, our add-ons. Right now, our add-ons and our core plugin are all in separate uh, Git repos. So. Uh, what we're planning to do is bring them all together into one repo. And uh, I mentioned this today on Twitter and, and people started commenting and stuff and thought it'd be cool to discuss it here. Um, and I, I'll tell you the main reason that we decided to do this or the main reason that it came up is because we were we were implementing Travis CI for our add-ons. So we were you know, when you'd push a commit for the media files add-on, for example, it would fire a Travis CI build. But for that to work, the add-on, I mean, just running the add-on through Travis CI doesn't make any sense because it requires the core plugin. So you have to include core, but also the CLI add-on also uh, has some dependencies with the media files. So, like they're all in- interconnected, right? So whenever one of them uh, is like, whenever you commit to one of them, really the build, the Travis CI build should be all of them together, right? Because that that commit can affect the whole thing. It could, you could commit in the CLI add-on and it breaks the media files add-on, for example, right? So you really need to run them all together. And then we're, then uh, Ian brought up why don't we just bring them all together into the one repo? Uh, and then we can, and then that makes it a lot easier. And then we started thinking about all the other benefits of that. Um, where, for example, oftentimes we'll have an issue and then we realize, you know, it's a core issue. Oh, but then it realize, oh, it also affects the media files add-on. It also affects the CLI add-on. <laughs> so yeah, this happens to us in EDD all the time. So you have a, you have a GitHub issue you know, sitting in your core repo and you actually have to have like links to the, you know, maybe yeah. you could create sister <laughs> sister issues. I, I don't... We, have, we have an issue in EDD core right now that I believe is open across two or three extension issue uh, GitHubs as well. Right. Because it affects all of them, but it's really the same issue. Right, right. And it's kind of obnoxious. So, so yeah, it, it is a little messy, right? So do you, you create GitHub create issues? separate issues in each repo. Each one and kind of link them together. Yeah, usually we'll just copy and paste links. And then, yeah. I mean, GitHub is really nice about how it can link issues across repos together. Yes, absolutely. Cool. Yeah. So at least there's some sort of weird spider web connecting them. Yeah. I mean, this isn't like a huge thing for us because we only have a couple add-ons right now. And we're not planning on having like 100 add-ons ever, right? We're you know, we're going to have, you know, maybe a half dozen at some point would probably be, be my guess. Sure. Um, so I, 
I could understand why like it wouldn't make sense for some other projects like like EDD it wouldn't make sense to have all your add-ons in with your core I don't think it's I think it, I think we could say it would make sense to do like the top 10 add-ons that tons of people use right yeah I can um, see that yeah. but you you then run into where do you draw the line yeah yeah I'm like hey this new add-on I think it's going to be super popular should we go and throw it in <laughs> it, it just gets messy yeah 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 um and then i mean we already have technically we have two plugins in one repo right now right because we we use a build script to build right. the free and pro versions from the one repo and so it's not a big stretch for us to to include the add-ons in there um it was an interesting comment someone made on Twitter today that started this discussion too. It, I think it was someone had mentioned. Did you see this conversation? I think I did. I yeah. have to look back through my Twitter stream and see if I can find it again. Yeah, someone mentioned that like plugins have to stop, uh, just have to stop having add-ons for little yes. stupid features. That's what it yes. was, right? Yeah. And and I can agree with that uh, on just solely on that one very specific statement. But as soon as you start to think about you know an e-commerce system, for example, it doesn't really apply, right? Right. Well, one of the points that was brought up in that discussion that happened earlier this morning on Twitter is um, that as an as an add-on gets more and more complex, like when should it become an add-on as opposed to uh, just built into the core plugin? And there's a couple of ways I think you can look at it. Number one, uh, if it's a, there, there's some features that just work fine in the core plugin just because of the fact that, I mean, they're not a big deal. Like if somebody doesn't use it, it's okay. It just sits there. But if it, if a feature gets larger and larger, it might be really beneficial to split it off into an add-on, um, not just because you have more code sitting there, but because then as the de developer building it, you have a lot more control and ability to fix things related to that feature without pushing out an update all the time for the core software. Right. And so you can kind of maintain them separately. Um, right. Yeah, that's a good point. I, I didn't really think about versioning. I guess the more complex an add-on gets, the more you're going to want to update it independently. So just as an example, like software licensing for EDD uh, is one of the larger extensions, and it gets updated about every single week or maybe once every two weeks. Right. EDD Core gets updated once a month or so. Right. Uh, and if the two were coupled together, it would be much more difficult to push out a small security fix or a small bug fix for one or the other um, because it, they would then be tied together. Right. Um, mm. The flip, the downside, and one of the points that uh, he originally brought up on Twitter, and this was Clifton, uh, who is one of the core developers on the shop e-commerce plugin. Mm. Um, one of the points that he brought up is that it's more difficult and it's, a, uh, a lesser user experience to have someone install five add-ons as opposed to install one plugin and have all of them, which I think is absolutely true. Mm -hmm. But I think the counter-argument to that, which, is, which I think you need to really consider, is that installation happens once. Right. Yeah. Uh, it might take a little longer to install, yeah. but in the long run, it might be better. Yeah. But it, it varies for every add-on. Yeah. And I mean, totally, I mean... Well, just think about how many times people install like my plugin versus how how often they would install like EDD, for example. 
unless they're building, you know, EDD sites and that's all they do, <laughs> right? They're not going to be installing EDD every day, right? Right. But if they're working on a bunch of different client sites and they're and they've used MigrateDB Pro, they're going to install MigrateDB Pro all the time. Right. So it makes sense for me to put a lot of effort into making that as smooth yeah. a process as possible. So yeah, priorities. I think, it, I I think a takeaway is that just because you're building add-ons doesn't mean they should be separate plugins. Like it, yeah. every every diff, every plugin is different. Yeah. Yeah, you really have to see. don't 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 just make them add-ons because someone else said, oh, you should make add-on plugins because they're better. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, I think before we uh, get too much further and run out of time, I think I'd really like to talk about uh, something that a listener submitted a few weeks ago. Yeah, uh, sure. Do you want me to so read this, this? Yeah, why don't you go ahead and read it out? So this is something sure. that came from Jonathan Perlman, and yeah. this was a question that he asked. Right. So, so Jonathan says, I'm writing a plugin that customizes WooCommerce by adding checkout fields, adding ad hoc reports from queries, and unique functionality for this specific site. How do you start structuring a big plugin from the get-go so that it doesn't have to get a major refactor later? Thanks. Well, so first of all, I think that this um, this was a good one for us to talk about because this is something that we've both done. Mm-hmm. Um, we've both had major plugins that we've refactored over time, and we both have major plugins that we've worked on planning from the get-go to help prevent those kind of refactoring. So first, I want to give you an example before I before we jump into anything. Sure. Um, so EDD, for example, has been refactored, had major significant portions of it refactored quite a few times over the last two and a half to three years. The reason being is that early on, when it was first built, it wasn't planned. Like very little in the plugin was planned. It was kind of like, hey, let's let's just dump this here. It works great. Let's let's go with it. Mm-hmm. And so we put a whole bunch of stuff in post meta. We put a bunch of stuff in various places that it probably didn't belong. And then as the plugin grew, we realized that that wasn't very good for it. We realized that wasn't efficient, or we needed to do something better. So we started creating uh, a custom table here or there, or changing uh, the way that data is stored. And then we had to write migration schemes and do all of those different things. And that's kind of a pain in the rear to do. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's also something that can very easily break if you're not super careful with it. Then on the flip side, after doing that, I had affiliate WP. And that one, I planned the entire database schema before I wrote any code. I I planned the whole thing out so that I could avoid that refactoring later so, on. So how did you how did you go about did you sketch it out on a piece of paper or did, like just write it out in in a GitHub uh, issue or I did it in a GitHub issue and then I also uh, when I designed my database schemas or the API I usually actually go in and just write like a shell API. So like I'll write a class right. and I'll write everything so pseudo I'll write, code write almost. Method. I'll write pseudo code that basically just and that uh, then tells me how I need to store it. Hmm. It's kind of like a diagram, but in code. Yeah. I think yeah. pseudocode is exceptionally helpful. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't work for everybody, but it works for me. Uh, we, we kind of, like we, we have a similar process where, we, but we, we kind of, we do it all on GitHub. Like, cause GitHub has pretty nice code. Um, like the display of code is pretty nice on GitHub. So we, we usually do like little snippets or little pseudocode snippets um, that kind of show. It's easier than words sometimes, right? <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. 
So that's, I mean, that's how I go about structuring uh, a plugin usually is I start putting, adding issues to a GitHub repo uh, and then start tagging them with milestones. I'll, I'll usually do feature, I'll usually do like all of the features as issues. Yeah. Um, and so like for Affiliate WP, for example, I had like uh, general reporting. Here's what I want to have reporting features. Uh, Referrals database. Here's how I want to lay out the referrals database. Here's how I want to lay out the affiliates. Affiliate registration. Like how do people become an, aff an affiliate account and kind of lay that out. And sometimes it'd be a description. Sometimes it'd be pseudocode. But um, just I think just like going through the ta the the process of laying all those out, um, even not necessarily in great detail, gets you to sit down and think about it on a on a kind of a global scale of the project. Right. So it's, it's funny cause like, so this, this question, like how do you start structuring a big plugin? I think, um, so that you don't, you know, end up with a major refactor later. I think, uh, you can get carried away here. I think you yeah. can start like, Oh, I'm going to start with, a, I'm going to build a framework. And before long you have a framework and nothing actually coded <laughs> towards the actual, you know, end goal of functionality that you need for this thing. Right. Um, <laughs> it's a great example of, uh, maybe you should just do it. Yeah. Yeah. Just do it. And I mean, you can refine it later. It's not the end of the world. For the factor too. I mean, I mean, what you just said about the database schema, I mean, that's a good idea to really put, put some thought into that when you're doing it and, and make sure you've, you've got it right. But I mean, even then that's, you're not gonna, it's not foolproof, right? Because I, I bet like when, so one thing that uh, you've said recently that you wish you had done is use custom tables for EDD, right? For certain things. Did you did you say that or yes. am I making this? Yes, up? Okay. No, definitely. Right. So if you could, um, I mean, when you made the decision not to use custom tables, like it was pretty much in the WordPress among WordPress developers at that time, it was probably pretty much what most people would have said: don't don't use custom tables, right? Yes. So I, I remember myself saying that several times. Yeah. So things change, right? Like absolutely, people people's ideas change. And I think stuff, you just hit so. the nail on the head right there is that when you're planning a large plugin, expect things to change. Yeah. Um, one of the things I'm really glad I did in Affiliate WP for planning it, and I have also done an EDD now, is I wrote an upgrade system mm -hmm. because I knew that in the future I would have to change things. Maybe yes. you have to add a column to a, to a table. Maybe you have to change a data type on a table. Plan for that to happen. You can't get your you can't get your your schema right every time. You can't get your API right every time. But as long as you plan for it to change, you can make that a lot easier. Right. I I would actually I would say don't write an upgrade system until you need it. That would be my thing. Because <laughs> like we just added one to the Amazon plugin, and it wasn't a big deal. Like we we added it in. It didn't take uh, much work. Uh, the the background updater thing that took a lot I, of work <laughs> i think it depends on so i'll agree and disagree with you there okay i think it depends on the, the plugin and the kind of data you're storing mm -hmm. if you create like i'm going to use affiliate ps as another example of this if you are creating four different database tables mm -hmm. i think you need to do it from the get-go if you are storing all of your stuff in a little bit of post meta for a bunch of different posts or attachments 
then it's probably not a big deal. I see. Yeah. Um, but in, in Affiliate WP's case, our upgrade routine is the same as the installation routine. So <laughs> I can take the same function call that creates the initial tables during install, and I can run them post-install, and they will process the upgrades as well. Right, right. So for example, if I change a data type on a table, right. all I have to do is call the creation routine again, and it will upgrade it. Oh, and okay, I that's see. That's because the upgrade and the install routine are the same thing. Right, right, okay. I, I was thinking more like what you just mentioned about meta metadata. Like, yeah, no, you I, don't, I don't think that. you need to, I don't think you need to worry about creating like a big batch upgrader routine that's going to be able to handle <laughs> hundreds of thousands of rows of data. Um, that you may or may never need in the future. Yeah. Like, I mean, ho hopefully you think about it enough so that you don't usually need that. Yeah. I took like a, a design course once and like the, I remember the instructor saying something about like, about 3D modeling, like when you're when you're doing 3D mod modeling, never model what you can't see, like or what you're not showing, <laughs> right? Like, why would you? Why would you ever? Why would you ever model like something that's never going to be seen, right? Like that's ridiculous. Sure. Um, and I I I I feel like that kind of applies to programming as well, right? Like, don't model something that you may use in the future, but you're not sure if you're going to ever use it. Um, un unless, you know, there's a good reason to do so. Uh, yeah, like, you, it, like you were just saying with the upgrade routine, that, that makes sense. It might be wasted effort. Well, maybe. But as long as it's not too much effort, right? Like, yeah. that's the other thing. You, you have to balance against that. If it's like very little effort to protect yourself from the future, I mean, then definitely do it, right? But, but if you're, yeah, if you're going to spend three days writing a framework that may or may not be useful in the future, <laughs> I have to question that. Yeah. I think, uh, custom tables is something I'd like to get into a lot further in a, in a future episode. Um, mm -hmm. so if anybody, anybody has any feedback on, on scenarios where they think it's good or bad or any, uh, any kind of feedback, let us know. It'd be good for a, a future episode. Maybe next time, maybe the time after that, um, for sure. Cool to, See if we can find somebody who's done a bunch of work with and without custom tables and bring them on and see what they say. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Somebody um, beyond just the two of us. Yeah, I wonder, yeah, maybe we we could find, yeah, if someone's listening and you've done a lot of work with custom tables and... Hate or love. Hate or love, yeah. I would love to have you on to tell us about them because I, I don't have a ton of experience with them, so... I, I had a little bit of experience with Restrict Content Pro because it's had custom tables since day one. Um, and But then I didn't really get into uh, doing everything with, with tables until I got into Affiliate WP. Right. And oh, right. So there's custom tables in Affiliate WP. Oh, yeah. It has four custom tables. Right. You know, we should have somebody on from Rocket, uh, Rocket Genius. Um, Gravity oh, yeah, Forms has had tons of custom tables for i don't know since the beginning of time right as far as i know since day one of the plugin yeah yeah so th they would probably know carl's also very outspoken about uh, don't drop everything in post meta right yeah. yeah cool well should we wrap it up yeah let's do it all right well Anything uh, else you want to throw out up there uh no i mean tomorrow we're going to be doing our second uh core contributor day so 
we're going to be working on actually ian's probably starting work right now in new zealand so that's fantastic it's gonna what are, be anything in particular that you guys are going to try to work on not really we just try to pick up like small bugs that we can try to finish within the day um i think i worked on like three or four tickets uh last month when when i did it and it was a lot of fun i really enjoyed it um it was the first time i really spent you know a significant amount of time Stepping, stepping out of your own projects and going to WordPress core is super refreshing sometimes. Yeah. Well, it's, I mean, the level of activity is pretty intense. That's yeah, huge. <laughs> yeah. But it's, it's just nice to work on something different and, and can and pay back, you know, Yeah. Definitely. contribute back to the community. So well, uh, I'll throw out a small note again for our sponsors. Uh, the, the WP ninjas are some pretty great guys. They wrote a couple of cool plugins, and they've been very generous in, in sponsoring affiliate, uh, apply filters. And have allowed us to do some cool things. So awesome. thanks, guys. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening. Yeah, thanks, Catch everybody.